You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. We'll be in the book of Ephesians. I'm going to read chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. And this is what God's Word says. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mercy was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insights into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, and is now being revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which is given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of, his, of Christ and to bring to light every, to everyone, for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Praise be to God. Amen. Thanks, Tim. Let's hear it for Tim. I fully, fully agree with what Miguel said. Uh, if there was someone that I could sit under for uh, a few minutes or a few hours uh, about this reading of the Word of God and Scripture, it would be Tim. And so that's who I would choose. So we do uh, invite you to join us uh, Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. in a few weeks uh, to just sit and just study the book of Isaiah. Uh, it's great. So um, we, I've been recently so fascinated with how we communicate as humans like we're always putting forth some sort of a message, both verbally and non-verbally. And, and I, I was thinking, that was my wife up here, by the way, singing. Um, she's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so if you wonder why the singer came off the stage and I gave her a kiss, that's my wife. Um, and I was just, as she was up there, I was thinking about, how, yeah, I didn't give Miguel a kiss, sorry. Um, I was thinking about how when we were dating, I wrote I, and I drew a heart, and then a you, on her hand, all right, come on, give me some credit. Um, Well, that confused her like crazy because we hadn't said I love you yet to each other. And so she was like, what does that mean? Do I say it back? Was he saying he loved me, right? So we communicate these messages with people all sorts of ways. I mean, don't underestimate the power of an eye roll, right? I've got five girls in my house, right? So eye rolls communicate things. We have all of these things that we use to communicate. Has anybody ever sent a text message that they very quickly regret, right? You're asking a Siri to voice to text or something, and what you are thinking and what you're trying to say is not actually what has been said, um, and so uh, there's kind of like this one. This is a text message uh, that was sent by mom. Uh, not my mom, but uh, your great aunt just passed away, LOL. So the son properly responding, mom, why is that funny? That's not funny, David. What do you mean? Mom, LOL means laughing out loud. Mom thinking that LOL meant lots of love. And she had sent that text message to her whole family. And so now she has to go back and, and clarify that she's not laughing about her great aunt passing away. Um, or, you know, someone's about to do an uh, uh, interview on TV, and, uh, you know, they say, what's your name, and what do you do for a living? And so you got, uh, yeah, what's your name? Uh, my name is uh, Rich Howard. Yeah, yeah, and then what do you do for a living? I'm a scuba diver. Uh, a scuba diver? Yeah, yeah, I'm a scuba diver. Yeah, forget about it, right? And so... That's so scuba dive. You're conveying something with the words that we speak, but then it's a missed message. Or, or here, how about this one? Um, you're asked to put a label on something to drink, and you write that there's sweat tea. 
In case you didn't catch it, sweet is two E's, kids. You don't want to serve sweat tea at your next event. Or then finally, you know, you're really uh, excited about a new season of life, so you go and get a tattoo that says, no regerts. <laughs> I'm guessing you regret your regerts. <laughs> We're all communicating these messages, written communication. We all communicate. When we do, we're transmitting a message. And often we share what we enjoy. But we only enjoy what we experience. Like the other day, I took our staff to a local Cuban place called San Luis. I was brought there by Miguel Rodriguez, one of the guys from our church. And I tell everybody about it. Um, We had... uh, Arroz con polo, uh, empanadas, cafe con leche, right? So I was, I mean, we were eating, there was the table was just piled with food and we were just gorging ourselves on this amazing food. My mentors used to say that it was so good that it made my tongue slap my brain. Like that's, that's how good this food was. And so when I enjoy something like that, what do I do? I tell people about it. So hopefully right now you're sitting here going, I'm actually hungry. I actually want lunch. And maybe I'll go to San Luis because it's so good. Just like the Connect lunch that we're about to have right after church. We actually got Chick-fil-A, which you can't get on a Sunday. So you could come to the Connect lunch and enjoy some Chick-fil-A, which we love. It's God's food, right? And so... I enjoyed lunch, I shared about it, and my excitement about the things I enjoy should be contagious. As Christians, we have a very specific message that we have been called to communicate with the world around us, and we don't want to send the wrong message. And often, for the sake of trying to be Uh, quippy and funny, we maybe say things, or even we hear something like on Way FM or the radio, and we think all of a sudden it's biblical, and so we repeat it. And what happens, and especially our American culture where there's a lot of media and we're being flooded with a million messages per day, we start to think that some of the things that we're hearing over and over again are actually biblical when they are not. And so um, there are all of these um, statements, this, this kind of way of them faith that we, we put forth when it's not necessarily scriptural. I'm not saying way of them is not scriptural. What I'm saying is that sometimes we have these catchphrases that aren't fully biblical. We have to know the message that God is calling us to communicate. And we're about to enter into this, this passage of scripture. This is a, a, an author. His name is Paul. He is sitting in a prison, and he's writing to a young church that had just started. And he's trying to help them understand what is the message that they are called to share with every man, every woman, and every child that they come in contact with. He wants to make sure that they're not getting the message wrong. Because in kind of this overarching idea, it's very quick it's very easy for us as humans to begin to attach works to faith. And so we say, you have to have faith in Jesus and also do these things in order to be a Christian. But that's not the message that God has given us in the Bible. We are saved by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, not a result of works so that no man may boast. So Paul is really trying to hone in on this message that they're con- he's conveying to the, uh, to the Colossians, um, sorry, the Ephesians and the Colossians um, and the church, and he's trying to help them understand what are they saying to everybody else because he doesn't want them to add works. And that's what they were doing. They were starting to say, you have to be circumcised and believe in Jesus. You have to do these rituals and believe in Jesus. You have to do these sacrifices and believe in Jesus. And you can't add add anything to Jesus. It's Jesus plus nothing that equals your salvation. And so Paul is really honing in on this message. And that's what we're talking about today. Because last week we said it is 
Paul's joyful burden. This is what we talked about last week. These bookends of verses 1 and verse 13. This joyful burden for Paul to be able to be in prison and share this good news with other people. It's joyful. He's really excited that no matter what happens, he gets to share the good news of Jesus. So, so if Paul is put in prison, he shares the gospel with the other people that are in prison. He shares the gospel with the, the guards. I mean, you can't stop Paul. You can't shut Paul up. At one point, they beat Paul up, drag him outside the city. When he regains consciousness, he doesn't go to a hospital or a medic. He stands back up and goes back in to preach this message. So that's what we're being invited into as we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We've been called, invited to share his good news with the world around us. But we have to know the message that we're sharing. And that's what we're going to be diving into today. What is this treasure? What is the message that we have been called to share? So last week we had these printed. Last week we talked about sharing his treasure. And that's these bands. If you didn't get one on the way out, you can get one of these to remind us that it is our joyful burden that we get to share his good news with the world. And then we're going to jump into verses 2 through 6. So let me read this for us again. So he just said, I, for this reason, is my joyful burden as a prisoner of Jesus Christ on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as... It has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is, and this is what we're going to hone in on today, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive in. Jesus, it is your Spirit that opens our eyes and illuminates our hearts to your good news. And as we talk about your good news, God, I pray that it would first and foremost sink into our hearts and minds, that it would change and transform us from the inside out, and that by transforming us, we would enjoy it in such a way and delight in it in such a way that we would go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations for your name, for your glory. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so... I know the question you're asking is, why does Paul use the word mystery? Good question. There you go. I'm proud of you. I love, um, I love a good suspenseful mystery, personally. Like, anybody like watching mystery movies and, like, TV shows? Like, I love the suspense of not, like, not knowing what's going to happen and, like, trying to figure it out. This is a little bit different because this mystery has been fully revealed in Jesus, See, we know the outcome. We're, we are post-Jesus, and we know the outcome. God has given us his word to know the outcome. We may not know when Jesus is returning, but we know what is going to happen, and we know uh, what Jesus has done on the cross for us. So we don't know the when, but we know the what. And so in verse 5, he says, This mystery, as it has been revealed, that as is important, because it was revealed in part through the Old Testament. So let's look at a couple of Old Testament passages that started to reveal this. Genesis, all the way back in Genesis 12, 2 and 3. God says to the Jews, the Israelites, I will make of you a great nation. He's talking to Abraham. Because in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he's talking to Abraham about his descendants, the Jews, the Israelites. And then he's saying all the families of the earth. So that's now the Gentiles. Here's another passage in Isaiah 49, 6. I will make you as a light for just the Jews, just the Israelites. No, for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So he's not just limiting this salvation to just a certain people group, but it's actually for all people. Isaiah 56, 6 and 7. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. There's a theologian, Alfred Edsherdheim. He found 456 Old Testament verses referring to the Messiah and his times. 456 Old Testament prophecies that are being fulfilled in the person of Jesus. 
So in the Old Testament, there's all of this foreshadowing. There's all of these glimpses of a Messiah that's going to come to save all of humanity. And so I want us to kind of put ourselves in a position where these Ephesians are. Because the Ephesians know the beginning part of our Bible. They know the Old Testament. They know these prophecies. They know the 456 things that uh, give light to what's to come in a Messiah. But then Jesus lives a life. He does these miracles. He's murdered on a cross. And then he's put in a tomb and disappears. He's resurrected. But he doesn't just resurrect and disappear. He actually then shows up again after he's died. That they, People saw him die, saw him laid in the tomb. And then three days later, they see him walking around again, eating food, talking to people. And so Paul is going around trying to help these people understand that that is who the Old Testament scriptures was talking about. And it's kind of confusing. Your whole life you've been told one thing. Your whole life you've been taught about a God and about following the law and the sacrificial system that you're supposed to follow to receive forgiveness for your sins. And now you're being told you are only to have faith in Jesus. Don't you think that would be somewhat confusing if your whole life you've been uh, taught and told one thing and now something else has come into play? And so they're wrestling with this right now. So that Paul's not just writing to a people that are like, yeah, we get this. And you may be sitting here today and you may be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I get that. Yeah, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. But we have to understand the context of this and we have to understand that the world around us is confused by the message of Jesus by faith alone through grace alone receiving salvation. The majority of people in our community here would think that being a good person is what's gonna get them into heaven. That's what the majority of people think. So when you're talking to your friends and your family about Jesus, what they're going to say is, oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, I'm a good person. That's how they'll respond. You're going to start telling them that there is a God who loves them, that sent his son to die for them, and their response is going to be, yeah, I know that I'm a good person. Their response is going to be, yeah, 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 I go to church. Their response is going to, I mean, listen, you could have been born on the altar, You could have been born in this church. You could have come here day in and day out like my kids and and been raised in the church and still not be a Christian. That is possible. Because it is by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, not your actions. And often in the church, we put on this mask and we, we act the part. But there's been no life transformation in our hearts and in our minds by the word of God. And so as we're looking at this, we have to understand that that Paul is speaking not only to a generation here, but to us as well. Because we can get this wrong too. Paul was so confident in this message that he was willing to lay down his life. Because he knew that this message was worth dying for. And then he says this in verse 6. The mystery is this. So so he's about to reveal to us the mystery. So should we tune in a little bit? All right, let's tune in. First he says, the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Not two different people groups, Jews and Gentiles. So that would be the Israelites and all of their descendants and then everybody else. Now, if you're not of Jewish descent, Jewish heritage, or uh, if you're not from Israel, you would be a Gentile. So all of us here, or most of us here, would be Gentiles. So this is speaking about us. So he's saying it's not two different peoples that are coming together as two different peoples. It's one new group, one new person. And those, those people are called Christians. That's the, the term that they, they coined back then, was Christ followers. So it's not two different people groups, but one people group. All nations are fellow heirs. Now they have the same father. There is a joint inheritance. This is a beautiful picture of what Paul was talking about earlier as adoption. 
and adoption in our context may seem a little bit different than what this is talking about, but, but it is a beautiful representation of the, the joining together and the forever family that God has intended. Adoption is that. We know that. We have that in our family. So there's a picture that's going to come on up. This is um, my kids and my, actually, this is my sister-in-law. So there are my four girls there. One of my girls is adopted. One of my eight-year-olds is adopted. She came to us when she was two years old through the foster system. She's the blonde all the way on this side. And then you see two little girls in the middle that are from China. It was Everly and Jade's birthday. And so we, three of those six kids, have been adopted. On their birth certificate, Hope's last name is Vecchio. Our last name. My, my sister-in-laws, which is my wife's younger sisters, which are Jade and Zara, that's my girl's aunts. They're all the same age. It's really weird and confusing. Um, their, their last name is DeAngelis. And so that's what their birth certificate says, DeAngelis. And my wife, who's 36, and Jade, who just turned 12, have the same father, John. Jade has been adopted in. They may look a little different, but they are one. And they share an equal inheritance from their father. This is a beautiful picture of what the gospel is. In fact, uh, Jade, I love the simplicity of a child. Um, about a few years ago, she was maybe seven or eight. Um, we, were, uh, we were all hanging out, and Lauren started talking about her parents have a lake house in Maryland. And so as the eldest daughter, she was talking about the lake houses as our lake house, right? We have a lake house. And so she was talking to somebody. She's like, so we have this lake house, and Jade like kind of nudged in the conversation, was like, uh, excuse me, I have a lake house. And Lauren kind of looked at her and she's like, okay. So we have this lake house. And again, she like nudges in. She's like, I have a lake house, right? Why? Why does she have that perspective? Because she knows that she is an equal heir. The simplicity of a child understanding, I'm fully a daughter. The simplicity of knowing like, what is my parents is mine. We are equal heirs with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The scriptures call him our brother. We here who profess faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior are equal heirs. There's no hierarchy here. No one's better than somebody else because they come up on this platform. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul is trying to help them understand because, because it's very easy for us as humans to start to elevate ourselves based off of what we do and think, oh, we're, we're more of a son of God because we are of, and here, Jewish descent. We are better than these people because they're half-bloods. They're only half-Jewish. Or we're better than these people because they're not even Jewish at all. And so he's trying to help them understand that Jesus came to level the playing field between all nations, all ethnicities, all gender, right? So he's come in and he has said, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, you're an equal heir. It, it doesn't matter if you are black or white, you're an equal heir. So he's come in and he is leveling the playing field. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, he's leveled the playing field. And so Paul is saying, the mystery is this, that Gentiles are fellow heirs. And then he says they are members of the same body. There is belonging in that statement, that they belong as equal heirs. And there's also participation. There's a participation that comes into being members of the same body. This is something we're trying to get our girls to understand. Like we are a family, so all of us have responsibilities within the household of the Vecchios. And so some of them, maybe it's just cleaning up their room. For Maya, she has to clean her room. She's four. For Selah, her responsibility is higher. She's 12. And, oh yeah, you're 10, sorry. Um, I don't want to 12 you right yet. Yeah, thanks for the correction. Um, so, right, she's 10, so she has more responsibility. And so, as we are journeying together, we have to remember that we are a part, members of the same body. This is what 1 Corinthians is talking about. We are, there are many members, and each one plays a role. So you can't just come in on a Sunday morning every so often and leave and think, I am a part of the church, when you're not part participating in the life of the family. God has invited us to participate, to partake, to join together and use the gifts that he has given us for his church and for his glory. 
So there's belonging and participation in this statement, in this statement where he's saying we're members of one body. Just like if my finger is hurt, my whole body feels it. So if one of our members is hurt, we all should feel it. And we all participate. And so he's saying, mysteries is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. They're members of the same body. And we are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He's talking about the access and the relationship that we have from God by Jesus Christ. So I want to break this down, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. The Jews had access and relationship through the law and the sacrificial system. I'm, I'm gonna, I want to break this down, so I want us to understand this, because this was new for them to understand. That's why he's calling it a mystery. They had access and relationship through the law and the sacrificial system. So here's what the law did for them. There were 613 Jewish commandments. It's the mitzvah in Hebrew and in the Old Testament. It was a way of life. This was for their protection. They lived and they wandered the wilderness for 40 years. Now, when, when COVID first hit, there were all of these regulations placed on top of people to try to protect people from getting sick and dying. That was, that was kind of the, the gist. I know there's a lot of political stuff in there, but let's push that aside. Like it was that people didn't want other people to die. That, that was at, at the essence of it, it was, was a pretty good thing. Well, they're traveling the wilderness in this camp with thousands of people. Like they're in the middle of nowhere in the, the heat of this wilderness and they were living in very close quarters. And so if sickness started to go throughout the camp, people would die. And so there were these laws that we see in the Old Testament that were put forth in order to protect the people of Israel as they journeyed through the wilderness. And so some of the laws that we see in the Old Testament were if you touch something unclean, you had to go through a cleaning ritual to make sure that whatever you touch didn't affect you, therefore affecting everybody else in the camp. And so there were these things that kind of came in and out on this law. And so this was like in the book of Leviticus, we see a lot of these. We see this in Deuteronomy. So we see these laws that come to play to protect the people of Israel. These were good things. These weren't things that they followed by obligation. These were things that, that they followed because they wanted to live. They wanted to get through the wilderness and they wanted to, to um, serve the Lord. This gave them access and relationship with God. And then there was this sacrificial system that was placed uh, for them to, to restore relationship between them and God. And so Leviticus chapters 1 through 7, we find these detailed instructions for offering sacrifices. Sin separated humanity from God. And so God provided a way for the Jews to atone and forgive them, leading them into reconciliation. So I just want to break this down really quick. First, we have um, the book of Genesis. What's the first thing that happens when Adam and Eve sin and you see this separation between them and God? What does God do? So, so in, the, in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve disobey God by eating from the fruit that God said will only bring them death. And then they realized what? That they were naked and they were ashamed. And so God removes them from the garden and he places them in the wilderness. And then what does he do? He makes them clothes out of the skins of an animal to cover their nakedness. Now, God is all-powerful, and I'm sure he could skin an animal without killing it. However, what we see here is that the first sacrifice to cover the nakedness of man, the sin of man, was done by God himself to cover them for their sin. So God sacrifices the animals and makes these skins for them so that they could cover themselves so that they're no longer naked and ashamed. Then you see God put in this sacrificial system for his people so that they could be reconciled in relationship with God. So there are multiple offerings. I'm not going to go through all of them, but there's a few. There's the burnt offering. Two times a day during the festivals where uh, in Leviticus 1, 4, and 5, he shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering 
and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. So the blood of this animal covers their sin. And I want to clarify what atonement is. Atonement is the work of God in Christ on the cross whereby he canceled the debt of our sin, appeased his holy wrath against us, and won for us all the benefits of salvation. So atonement is what this burnt offering accomplishes. And then there's this peace offering. This peace offering is more than a sacrifice. It's actually this festive meal. This act reminds the worshiper the only way to have access and relationship with God is through the blood of a perfect substitutionary sacrifice. And then there is a guilt offering. Beyond the sacrifice, now it's required restitution. The guilty person not only has to confess their sin publicly, offer a blood sacrifice, but then they have to make restitution. That means they have to give back what was taken up over and above, up to 20%. They had to give back to, if they stole something from somebody, they had to give back restitution. And so we have atonement, substitutionary sacrifice, restitution. God placed this sacrificial system in place so that there can be a reconciliation between us and him so that we can continue in relationship with God. That is what the Old Testament sacrificial system is. And that's a lot of information. Why did I get so deep into all of that? Because we have to understand that's what the people understood as a relationship with God. This is what the Jews would perform so that they could have relationship with God. And they've done that their whole lives. Their whole lives, they went to these festivals and they sacrificed these animals every time that there was sin. You know how many animals I would have to sacrifice in my life? You know how many you would? A lot. So they were continually doing this over and over and over again because they wanted to have a right relationship with the God who created all things. And if you were not Jewish, you actually could participate in these things. If you were a Gentile, you could join in with all of these sacrifices. You could join in with these laws and you could begin to follow the disciplines of the Jews and join in with them so that you could be right with God. And so there were Gentiles that had a relationship with God, Yahweh. And so now their whole culture, their whole generation, from, from years and years and years of practice, got right with God through these things. And now Paul is saying that they don't have to do it anymore. Don't you think that would turn your world upside down? You spent your entire life doing these things to try to get yourself right with God because this was what God had put in place. But then he sends Jesus to live a perfect life, the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice. And his death on the cross was a one and done. He didn't say I'm going to die on the cross and then you have to continually sacrifice all of these animals and do these burnt offerings and do these things. All you have to do is have faith in me. And it was offensive to the Jews because it was everything that they knew. Everything they knew about being right with God came down to the practices that they performed. Do you ever wonder why we as a people, humanity, are so enamored by progress and performance? We love to perform. We love to be able to say, I did this. Men, look at me. Do you have that complex? Because I do. Like, we love to step back and say, look at what my hands built. And now Paul is saying, you can do nothing you can't accomplish your own salvation. You can't perform enough rituals to cover over your sin. That's why Jesus came. And it's sending the whole world into an upheaval. No wonder why they imprison Paul. Everybody's freaking out because he's saying, hey, all of these rituals, all these sacrifices, all these laws, Jesus came to die to fulfill them to complete them. It is the last verse, the final period at the end of a really good book. Jesus finished it all, period. End of story. 
and they're sitting here going, what? Like, no, 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 we still need to do these things. And Paul's going, no, 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 you don't. Like, you are equal heirs. You are members of the same bodies, and you're partakers of this promise in Jesus Christ through the good news of the gospel. That's what gospel means. It means good news. And the good news is that it is finished. That's the good news. Not to be continued by John. It is finished. And they're going, I'm having a really hard time wrapping my mind around this. Because the good news of the gospel is that we are saved by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice. And so Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 Paul is trying to remind all the people, Jews and Gentiles alike, that they were once separated from God by their sin, but that Jesus came and finished what he started. Verse 12 in Ephesians 2. Remember, all people. You know who's included in that? You. If you're new here today and you've never step foot inside of a church, or you don't often come to church, I want to really thank you for coming. I know that coming into a place like this may be really difficult to like see people singing and talking about a book and God, and, and if you're not sure about these things, here's what I want you to know. There is a God, and he loves you so much that he, he came himself in flesh to die for you because he loves you, to finish your salvation, to complete your salvation. And all he requires is your faith and your trust in him alone. And so he's saying, remember this, that you were, were at that time, before you came to know Christ, separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. If we don't know Christ, we are helpless. If we don't know Christ, we are hopeless. If we don't know Christ and trust him as our Lord and Savior, we are spiritually dead. And we will spend eternity apart from Christ in a real place called hell. And that, that hell is the fact that we are going to be eternally separated from the God who created us. And so it says in verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It doesn't matter if you were born on the altar. It doesn't matter if you can size yourself up with all the people around you and think, well, at least I'm a better person than them. Well, I'm better than my brother. I'm better than my sister. It doesn't matter how you size up. It doesn't matter how morally fantastic you are. That doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is faith alone in grace, through grace alone, in Christ alone. And that is something that is stirred by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God calls us to share this good news with every man, every woman, and every child everywhere we go. So this is what I want to do. I normally don't do this. I'm going to do this really quick. Um, I want to give us some tools because I know most of you in here, um, and I know that you do believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, but sometimes within the church, we don't spend enough time talking practically how we go and do this. And so I want to take a few minutes, I put a couple of slides together, because I want to equip you to know what it looks like to share your faith, to share what you believe, to share his treasure with everyone. Sound good? Real quick, if you want to take, take your phones on, take pictures, I can email these to you. Um, but here it is, ready? Here's the first one. This is the who. Who are we called to? Every man, woman, and child. Why do we use that phrase so often? Because we want you to know that there is nobody in your life that is exempt from the gospel. It doesn't matter if it's someone, I know for some of you, you have really difficult work relationships, and for some of you, you have a boss that is really domineering and nasty, or you have somebody in your life, maybe it's a parent, an uncle, a friend, a cousin, that is just mean, maybe it's the HOA president, I don't know who it is, but there's somebody that you know that you're like, ah, oh, they are so far beyond God saving them, and I want you to know that's not true. Look at the disciples, look yourself in the mirror. There is nobody 
that will not, uh, that is exempt from the good news of Jesus. Doesn't matter how bad you are. So the who and who we're supposed to tell about Jesus' good news is everyone. You open your eyes, you look around, and often, I, when we, especially when I was doing youth ministry, we'd ask the kids, like, hey, is there somebody in your life? And they're like, no, nah, there's nobody I really know that I can go share the gospel with. I'm like, are your eyes closed? Like, are you not looking around? Because every day we interact with people, all day, every day, whether it's at Publix, Starbucks, uh, Walmart, like there are people that our eyes should see and we should see them as people who need to know that there's a God who loves them and wants a relationship with them. So who is every man, woman, and child? And here's the what. It's the gospel that there is a God who created all things and he created all of humanity to have a relationship with him. Do you realize that everybody who is a human, no matter what they identify as, that just throw that in the trash, Every human is an image bearer of God. All men and all women. God created them as a man. God created them as a woman. And he made them as an image bearer. Someone who bears his image. God created humanity. But you know what humanity did? They said that we don't need God. And they separated themselves from God because they thought that we could be our own God. That's what's happening in our culture right now. That's what's happening in our world right now. The world is saying, we don't need God. We can do it on our own. And so there's a severance, a separation between God and humanity because of what's called sin. Us saying, we don't need God. Us saying, we want to do it on our own. So God sends Jesus to live a life we couldn't live, to die a death we couldn't die, perfection, and to raise from the dead. That's the good news. And there is a response. And that response is either we believe in this or we don't believe in this. The Bible says that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And if we're going to believe in Jesus, then we have to believe what he said because he's the one who said that. He said, I am the only way, the only truth, and the only life. So we can't walk around and everybody say, well, you believe what you believe, and I believe what I believe, and then we're all good. No. If we're going to believe in Jesus, we have to believe in what he said. What he said is he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And everybody's going to have to stand before God and give an account for who they said Jesus is. So the what is the gospel. God, humanity, Jesus, response. And I put these pictures together because I want us to just have a visual of this. We remember things that we see. God, humanity, Jesus, response. So if you're like, I don't know what to share, this is the gospel. This is the what. And then the next one. The when. In your going. In your going. The Bible says, go therefore and make disciples. That go therefore Another translation of that, or a better way to translate it, is in your going. So this is, you wake up in the morning, you start heading out to work, maybe you're pumping gas, maybe you have to get some groceries, maybe you're going through the Starbucks line, maybe you're, uh, maybe you're a Dunkin' Donuts person, maybe you're going through the Dunkin' Donuts line, right? Maybe you're, we're in your going, everywhere you go, is when you share the gospel. At work, oh, well, you know, they're saying, at school, There's a separation of church and state. The gospel says, no, 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 no. In your going, everywhere you go, you can share the good news of Jesus. Paul's in prison for this. He didn't care what, he knew that this was a matter of life and death. And so it's in your going, everywhere you go. Don't be scared to share this good news. And people will be hostile against it. Just so you know. That's okay. So, The when is in your going. Where is everywhere you live, work, and play. We use those statements a lot because we want to have this ingrained in you. So if you're someone, that maybe you're a guy or a girl that goes and plays pickup basketball at the local Y, that's a great place. Maybe you like to go frequent certain restaurants or you like to go to the park and walk around. Everywhere you live, work, and play. Your neighborhood, family gatherings, everywhere you live, work, and play. And then the next one, the why. Because hell exists. It is a real place. There are movements of people trying to to get the world to think that there is no hell. It's not a real place. It's not really going to happen. 
Hell exists. There are people who don't believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior that will be eternally separated from God. And we have to try to wipe out our mindset of how we draw this stuff in cartoons. It's like we draw fire and this being with a pitchfork and a tail. Like, it is going to be far worse than that. The absence of God is going to be far worse than anything we can draw on a piece of paper. And so, hell exists. To be silent is a sin. Often we think, well, we're just not going to say anything. No, no, no. We need to say something. How are people going to hear unless we tell them, the Bible says. Blessed are those who bring the good news to every man, woman, and child. And then it deepens our relationship with God. Every single time I have shared the gospel with people, it has deepened my faith in God, in Jesus. It has encouraged and strengthened my faith in Jesus. And then it causes us to dig into God's word because you will be asked questions that you don't know. And guess what? It is okay for you to say, I don't know. People are going to, you're going to start telling them about Jesus and they're going to say, yeah, but what about this, 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 and this? And you can say, hey, that's a great question. I don't know, but I'm going to find out. And so you go and you research it. You get in touch with us, your elders. You get in touch with Tim and you say, hey, I was asked this question. How would you answer this? And you dive into the word of God. You go deeper into your own faith by sharing the good news of Jesus. And then the last one. It reminds us of the gospel in our own lives. We don't share the gospel because we've arrived and we've figured it all out and, and we're great people who are morally perfect and now we can go share it. Like we don't share the gospel often because we're like, well, we're sinners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're sharing the gospel as a sinner. You're never gonna be perfect enough to share the gospel. And so when you say, hey, I believe in this Jesus and someone says, yeah, but I know what you did last week, you can say, I know I'm imperfect. That's why I need Jesus. Don't be scared of sharing the gospel with somebody because it's going to come back to bite you. Like, it will. You're a sinner. We're all hypocrites. Because <laughs> we believe that, that what's required to be in relationship with God is perfection. And guess what? The only person that can accomplish that is Jesus, not you. And so what we believe in is a God who has accomplished it for us. That's the good news of the gospel. And then here's the last one, the how. Listen, proclaim, teach. I want to say this. Christians... We are really poor listeners. We spend way too little time listening and way too much time trying to talk. If we would just spend some time asking good questions and listening to people's stories, then we would have open opportunities to share good news with them in their life that's applicable to them. It's not about getting them through, okay, God, humanity, Jesus, response. I gotta get them through these four things. No, listen to where they're at. Ask them how they are doing. Ask them what you could be praying for. And as people are sharing their hurts and their pains, we proclaim our story in light of their story. We relate to them. We share with them what we've experienced in our lives. Have you, have you ever experienced a hurt? Have you ever experienced a pain? Have you ever experienced sin? Have you ever experienced addiction? We share with them and we proclaim to them our story in light of the story that we're already listening to. We're not trying to get them through a process. We're trying to be with them and trying to know them and get to know them and get to know their hearts. And so we listen. We proclaim our story in light of their story. And then we teach when they're at a place where they are ready to dive in. Often we want to go straight to teaching. And we have to understand that it's, it is a great thing to teach, but the setting has to be right. It has to be good. I love, there was this beautiful time where um, my daughter was sitting with one of our neighbors and they were in the pool and they were playing and they started talking about prayer and it was actually applicable to the situation. She, my daughter was asked, uh, how, how, how do you pray? And then my daughter was like, well, let me show you. And they, they pulled aside, they, I don't know where they were sitting, but they, were, they got out of the pool and then she started to teach her what it was to pray. Like, that's what we need to do in our lives is, is teach when the moments are ripe and when the Spirit stirs the opportunities for, the, for us to teach. So we listen, we proclaim, and we teach His good news to every man, woman, and child. So I know that was a lot, but I want to equip us to understand that, that God has invited you into this. We are His ambassadors. We as the church. And so when we say we want to impact the community, you know how we want to do that? Through you. And we don't want you to just tell people about your church. We want you to tell people about your God. 
Want people tell people about your Jesus. I met somebody the other day, and they, I was like, hey, how are you doing? They're like, oh, we're great. Our church is doing great. I was like, that's awesome. She's like, we've been evangelizing so much about our church. I'm like, wait, wait, what? You're evangelizing? Yeah, yeah, we're telling everybody how great our church is. I'm like, well, why don't you start with telling them how great your Jesus is? Don't tell them how great your church is. Tell them how great your Jesus is. That's what we want people to know. And as they come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, then invite them to participate in the life of the family. Amen? I'm going to pray for us. The band's going to come back on up. And I want us to see this as the message that we have been called to, to be, to understand and be delighted with the message of Jesus and to share his treasure with everyone. Amen? Are you a little overwhelmed? Is that a fire hose? Is that good? All right, let me pray for us. Father, I love that the mystery that we see here is a good news message that we can't accomplish on our own. I love that you have leveled the playing field between every man, woman, and child. No matter what our financial status is or ethnicity, God, that you have come to bring everyone life through Jesus. So God, I pray that we are not overwhelmed by this message of good news, but I pray that we would actually delight in it. That if we're sitting here and we're like, man, I, I haven't fully wrapped my mind around it, then we would be humble enough to, to come and sit in these discipling relationships that, that you have invited us into as a church. This Bible study that's going on for the women on uh, Thursday mornings. The Bible study for men that's going on on Wednesday mornings. The Isaiah Bible study. God, our community groups that sit and process these messages, these sermons at a deeper level all throughout the week. Our youth ministry, if they are uh, a youth, uh, middle school and high school student. Our young professionals ministry, 20s and 30-year-olds. God, I pray that people would join these things, not just because they have to, but because they want to go deeper and delight in your truth so that they know it in such a way that they are compelled and, and that they would have this joyful burden to go share this good news with everyone they come in contact with. God, I'm so thankful for the opportunity that we have to process these things in a setting like this. And we pray that you would be glorified. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.